I decided to look at what another church was doing earlier today or yesterday, I forget which, and I saw that for this other church, Christmas had already begun. They were telling each other Merry Christmas and singing Christmas songs, and I realized, oh yeah, that's probably the majority of churches around America right now. The uh, majority of churches probably don't observe Advent. They probably observe Christmas at the same time as the world, the culture around us, and uh, to them, my churches must seem quite weird. And uh, it's it's funny how weird is is uh, a, a <laughs> is a very subjective concept, isn't it? Um, people who are checking this church out are going to see for us Christmas hasn't begun. You're going to see some of the the decorations happen to resemble a lot of Christmas decorations, but the content, the message, the songs we sing, it's all talking about the coming of Christ. And uh, that seems a pretty important theme to focus on, so we focus on it for four Sundays. But it, then, you know, if Jesus doesn't come back first, turns into Christmas, which is then singing Christmas carols and focusing on his first coming, his incarnation, and what that means for us. So, I, I say all that kind of to, well, I, I wanted to first off say how important it is that the church maintains the way it does things, regardless of what the culture around us does. Um, the church in America has been through several different chapters of compromise in the face of a, a culture that continues wanting to go towards the ways of the world, and the church has largely been permissive about that, and I think it's important for churches not to be quite so compromising. And that's to do with large social issues. It also has to do with the liturgical year. There's a way that things have been done for thousands of years now that we should probably be serious about maintaining. And, um, you know, that's something that I, I hope to do, you know, with this Advent thing. It's been more and more meaningful to me as I've gone through it over the years, and I notice a number of people that once took offense are now realizing, oh, no, this is this is core and key to the gospel. So um, if you're not familiar with what Advent is, season of anticipating Christ's second coming, and he is coming. We don't know when, but it's important to be prepared, and that's what today's message is focused on. So I hope you are built up, whether or not this is your first time to deal with this subject matter or your thousandth. Uh, it's always worthy subject material, so enjoy. Our call to worship is based on Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term. The glory, you'll, and you'll join me when on the projected uh, language. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. The grass withers, the flower fades, nations rise and fall, but the word of our God will stand forever. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. Get up to a high mountain, O Zion. Lift up your voice with strength. 
herald of good tidings, lift it up, do not fear, say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. The Lord God comes with might, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, chapter 1, chapter 40, verses 1 through 11, which you can find on page 1028 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and your and her iniquity is pardoned for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and in the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice, the voice say, said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the go good, good, goodliness? thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass wither it, and the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get ye up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm. 
and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those who are young. The word of the Lord. This was a prophecy from Isaiah before the time of Jesus, right? But it's all about Jesus, as we're going to see, you know, spoiler alert. I, you know, I never cared for people who like to be surprised. Uh, I've, I've been the one to tell you what happens in a movie. If you ask me, I'm going to tell you what happens in a movie if I've seen it. I, I just, that doesn't ruin a good story for me if I know how it ends. I like to know the whole story. And the prophecy from Isaiah is all about Jesus. But it's in the context of, Isaiah was prophesying in the context of, ministering to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, who were God's chosen and elect people. But just because they were chosen and elect did not mean that they returned God's love rightly. And in fact, most of the Old Testament is telling the story of this people that God loves and has made it so clear from beginning to end, and yet the people do not return God's love. And this is part of the human heart, right? That, that just because someone loves us does not mean that we love them back rightly, right? So it's actually a wonderful thing whenever two people love each other and return, return that love rightly. But love gets warped pretty easily, and that's what happened in the case of Israel. They, they loved their God, sort of, but they also wanted to love other gods. And so the prophets spoke about them in terms of an adulterous spouse, cheating on their one true love with other suitors that could not save and could not uh, meet their needs. So God gave them over to their sins. He well, actively poured out his wrath on them through the Assyrians in the north and then through the Babylonians in the south, and he allowed them to be overrun. But that wasn't the end of the story. Just because God allows you to get punished does not mean he's done with you. Rather, God allows us to go through hard times so that restoration and discipline can be met. And so Isaiah is prophesying to them, saying, Comfort you, comfort you, says your God. You have paid what is owed. You have gone through the hard time that's needed, and I'm now going to restore you. It's quite, it's quite a prophecy that we have here. Here, let's, uh, I need to open, what page number were we on? I lost it whenever I, 1028, okay, thank you very much. So, we're, we're going to hear this reference starting in verse uh, 3. This is a prophecy about when God will come directly to earth and reign. And we've already talked about why we're looking forward to that. God is going to bring an era of perfect peace, a kingdom of shalom to earth. A voice before that, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We live in a messy, disheveled world. It's saying, get your lives together. Get this world together. Our God is a God of order. Amen. So we who have messy lives, you ever seen, uh, uh, I sure hope I'm not condemning anybody here, but if I am, I, d I have not taken note of this in anybody's house. You ever seen something on somebody's wall saying, God bless this mess? Okay, that is someone who doesn't know the power of God, because God brings order to messy lives. Does anybody know this power? And I'm not saying he just gets you to clean your room, that's not the extent of it, but God does get you to clean your room. That's, not, that's where it begins. So people want to imagine that they can do big, big things without even doing the basic things. Part of the basic things is cleaning your room, mowing your lawn, getting your life together, getting your finances in order. That's part of what this is about. If you want God to come into your life, you make a space for him. You make an orderly, neat, 
clean space for him. And that's part of what his Holy Spirit allows you to do. And as you find that order in your life, you find that the Holy Spirit moves in your life much more frequently, much more easily than he did before. Now, I'm not saying this is only a material thing, but I am saying that our material lives are supposed to mirror our spiritual lives. And I am saying our physical surroundings impact us spiritually. When someone is living in squalor, they are usually, very rarely are they right with God. They are surrounded by squalor and and, uh, uh, nastiness. That stuff seeps in, doesn't it? The place you live in, the people you live around, the spaces you spend your time in, they, they affect you spiritually. And what Isaiah is saying here is there is going to be a movement to prepare space, room for God to move into this world. And that'll be a physical, but that'll also be a spiritual movement. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all people shall see it together. I sure am excited for this. But then it kind of gets into the, anybody ever read Ecclesiastes? It's real depressing. You know, man that is born of a woman hath but a short time to live, and he's full of misery. He cometh up, and he's cut down like a flower. He fleeth, as it were, a shadow. There is no point to life. We're all just going to die. It's very nihilistic. And were it not for Jesus, it would be true. But here, this, this points exactly to that. The voice says, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All the goodliness thereof is the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, no, 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 no. It, it goes, the word of the Lord. Okay, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it, surely this people is grass. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. I biffed it. So, so it, it, it talks about how we all die, but then there's one thing that doesn't. And what was the one thing that didn't? The word of the Lord. Okay, so the question is, can our lives be in God's word so that we don't die? Hayden got the answer before everybody. He said, yeah. And that's exactly the right answer. Our lives can be so enmeshed in God's word that we live forever. That's the hope of the gospel, actually. When we stand on our own merits, we don't stand. We blow away as the chaff. We are nothing. But when we take our rest in Christ, when he is our peace, then our, good, our, 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 our lives are in him. Amen? So that's the hope it's giving here. It's saying, yes, the ancient Hebrew is, wisdom is right. We are nothing. But God is everything, and his word is eternal, and we can be in his word. So that when he returns and brings peace to earth, we can be with him. O Zion, Zion, thou that bringest good tidings, get thee up to the high mountains. Lift up your voice with strength, lift it up, don't be afraid. Say unto cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand. Is God strong? But here's, here's a mystery. Verse 11, well, it's not really a mystery. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. Does that sound like a strong, manly thing to do to feed? That doesn't really fit the, he shall gather his lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those of them that are young. Does that sound like a strong, manly, apex predator thing to do? No. We have a God who is simultaneously strong, masculine, firm, harsh. He has wrath, he'll pour it out, and... He's loving, sweet, indulgent, gentle, kind. 
God perfectly meshes these things together that in our silly heads we don't, we don't have room for. You know, we see that strength and we go, toxic, toxic masculinity. But that's not the God that we have. We have a pure God who is perfect in his strength and perfect in his gentleness. And he brings these together perfectly on the day of the Lord. And our way that we feel about that is excitement, yearning. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Psalm 85. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh. Them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. This is the word of the Lord. Has God been good to us? Have you suffered in your life? Has God been good to you? Look at this, spiritually mature people. Just because God loves you doesn't mean you don't suffer. It means he's with you in the suffering. It means he leads you out of the suffering. Has anyone been liberated from suffering by God? I, I've been led out of many seasons of suffering by God. I've been delivered. Yet I have this way of my heart growing cold. Have you ever found that even after God's done so much for you, that your heart is not always inclined towards him? That you're inclined to get distracted? To love things and people that are outside of him? That's kind of the human heart. And so why, that's why in so many of these psalms you hear this prayer, revive us again. The notion is we're, we're getting dumb. We're falling asleep. We're getting lazy. Revive us. Wake us up. I've talked about it from the pulpit before. Uh, there was this band that was big in my high school years, Coldplay. And they would sing these beautiful songs. Uh, Yellow was on. The, anyway, it doesn't matter. My brother, Jared, he hated Coldplay. I finally said, dude, what's your deal? Why, why do you hate Coldplay? He said, they're singing the world to sleep, man. He was into punk rock, if you couldn't guess it. Punk rock, you're alive. You're awake. And I like punk rock, but I also wanted to be asleep. The nature of, of humanity is we want to relax. We want to chill out. We want to enjoy ourselves a little, man. You know. And the Bible is saying, wake up. There's plenty to enjoy, but wake up. Don't be asleep. You remember last week, Jesus threatened, what's going to happen if a master leaves the house and he leaves some people in charge and he gets back and he finds them 
relaxing. He said, oh, it's going to be bad for them. And that's how it is with us. God has told us he's going to return. He expects to find us working. And how many of us, even though yeah, I'm grateful to God, I'm, but I'm not really, I'm not going to work for him. I'm not going to live for him. I'm not going to die for him. Well, here it's saying, revive us. You've been really good to us. Help us be good to you. Revive us. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thy anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again? That we may rejoice in you, in, in thee, in you? So show us your mercy. But here's what I think is really the key verse for our generation. Verse 9, Surely his salvation is nigh, that means near. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. When America first started off as an experiment, the vast majority of people living in this land did fear the Lord. Oh boy, when you read about the average faith of pioneer Americans, oh wow. Very faithful people. We don't fear the Lord anymore. Not as a culture. Very rarely do I meet a Christian that rightly fears the Lord. We'll talk about love, love, love all day long. We don't want to talk about fear. We don't want to talk about shame. We don't want to talk about guilt. We don't want to talk about sin. There are a number of unpleasant things. We, we live in a time where people, they don't really worship the, uh, the God of the Bible. They worship the God of positivity, right? So we got our... We got love and we got hate. We got fear and we got boldness. We, got, we, we set up these two, and you got the positive and you got the negative, and we do all the positive and none of the negative, and that's just not what you encounter in the Bible. We don't serve the God of positivity. We serve the God of heaven and earth. And does God get angry? Does God hate? So anger and hate are holy. The thing is, we have the right emotions wrongly we love but we love wrongly we fear but we fear wrongly the challenge of life is not to remove half of the feelings god has given us the challenge of life is to augment and perfect all the emotions and feelings god has given us both positive and negative so we are called to hate to hate rightly we are called to love to love rightly we are called to fear rightly. And the wonderful thing about that fear is when you fear the Lord rightly, you don't fear anything else. That's why Jesus said, do not fear those who can destroy your body and do nothing else to you. Fear only he who can destroy your body and cast your soul into hell. When you fear the Lord rightly, you don't fear anything else. You have no more anxieties. You get to fulfill your days in joy and peace all your life. But until you learn to fear the Lord rightly, salvation is far from you. A lot of people like quoting 1 John at me whenever I say this. Oh, but perfect love casts out fear. Absolutely, yes. Have you, been in, have you been perfected in love yet? No? Well, until then, you've got to get started on the first step. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And then grace, my fears relieved, right? Step one is fear. Step two is love, liberty. We want to step the first steps and go straight to expert. But that's silly. you got to learn the basics. I thought I was going to be a break dancer for half a minute in high school. I looked up how to do it. The starting move is the sixth step. I couldn't do it. 
I don't know what it was. I was just all feet. I couldn't do it. No part of I mean, saying that I was a B-boy would have been so ridiculous. And that's the kind of Christians we have nowadays. we got people that have never even done the basics, but they sit in a pew every week, and they think that they're Christians. That's just not how it is. Part of the basics is learning to fear the Lord rightly. Okay, I feel like I made my point. Let's move on. And we're running out of time. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and do our, this second Peter reading is so key. Joe, you've got this one, right? Okay, everybody pay attention to this. This is really key for us today. Well, and every day of our lives, really. All right, let's listen to Joe. Our the second reading comes from Second Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. Listen again to the word of God. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat." The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons sought ye to be, to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we... According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blemish, or blameless, and account that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation. The word of the Lord. So the reading starts off with those who are anxious it was clear that early Christians believed that Jesus was coming back any day and he wasn't coming back as quick as they thought. So first off, we have the issue of time. For God, time passes differently. So the point for us is not being able to time it out and go, okay, it's sometime in the next this many years, otherwise it's not soon. That's not the point. The point is God brings it in his time and we need to be ready at any given time. That, that should be something that's, that's clear as we make our way through here. And then some people might say, well, God's just kind of getting lazy. He's forgotten it. That's what the word slack means here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men think of it, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's given us time. Are we spending that time well? That's an important question. Doing an inventory on our time is pretty important. What am I doing with my time? Am I using it? For God's glory in evil days, or am I taking it for granted? That's, that's pretty important. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Does a thief come when the master of the house knows he's going to come? No, the whole point is he comes when nobody's expecting it. Otherwise, he'd be a terrible thief. He'd get caught, right? And that's what the day of the Lord is. It's going to come when we don't expect it. So you can't trust any of these people saying, oh, if you just read the Bible right here and there's a code here, it'll show it. It's on this date next year. Those people are anathema to the faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus said nobody knows the time except for God the Father. Even Jesus didn't know it. The angels don't know it. Nobody knows it. 
The point of the faith is not to rightly calculate and discern these things. The point of the faith is to live every day rightly so that whenever he comes back, he finds us faithfully working and serving him. So he talks for a bit about how things are going to come to an end, and he says everything's going to burn away and everything's going to be revealed. So you know those secret things about you in your life, things that you keep hidden that other people don't know about, those shameful, awful things? They're all going to be revealed on the last day. And there's going to be a big difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not. Those who have repented of those sins and are walking rightly now versus those who have just tried to hide those sins. You can't hide them. They're going to be exposed. The question is, are you going to get out ahead of it and get right with Jesus? Or are you going to fight till your last day to keep it a secret? I've known a lot of people like this. A lot of people who say they love Jesus, but they can't come into the light. They get so upset at the prospect of their hidden things being made known. It's going to be such an awful day for them on the last day. But then the question turns to, how should we live knowing that this is what the last day will be like? Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting to the coming of the day of the Lord. So we're supposed to be holy in all of our conversation, how we live. We're supposed to be godly. We're supposed to be looking forward to Christ coming again in glory. We should, uh, oh heck, what was, there was one more thing in there. Well, the last thing is in verse 14. Be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. So, are we supposed to be holy in this life? Are we supposed to be pure in this life? Are we supposed to be blameless in this life? Some of you are saying yes. Some of you are just like, I don't want to say it. But these things are obvious. The harder question, yeah, it obviously says this. Can we be pure, holy, blameless in this life? We got two yeses on that one. We live in a world that tells us we can't be. We live in a world that tells us you're weird if you want to be. We're called to be a peculiar people. And we're called to be holy. And if it were just us on our own, we couldn't be. But we're not on our own, are we? We have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does sanctify. The Holy Spirit does purify. The Holy Spirit does godlify. The only question is, are we going to let him? Do you want it or not? When Christ Jesus returns, do you want him to find you working, holy, pure? How do you want him to find you? The world to that says, oh, don't think about that. What's on TV? Who's playing this weekend? Oh, did you hear what so-and-so said? Did you hear what happened in the White House this week? That's what the world does. The world distracts you so that you never think about it. You never do right. And then it's too late. Friends, don't let it happen to you. And uh, our final reading this morning will be from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. You can find it on page 1391 of your pew Bibles. So this is how the Gospel starts out. Very beginning. In the beginning... 
the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. We heard this a minute ago from the prophet Isaiah, right? It was about God himself coming directly down to earth, right? God is coming. There's going to be a voice in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Get your lives together. Get your th stuff straight. Immediately after this, verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness. A voice in the wilderness. God's about to come down to earth. That is what you were supposed to, if you know Isaiah, that is a direct message here, is it not? John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. This is the word of the Lord. So the Holy Ghost, I've already talked about him. He's the one who sanctifies us. And is he able? Yo, that was a good yes. Good for you guys. All right. So the, the, the thing I wanted to really harp on is what I, I stopped midstream there. There are a lot of detractors from the faith of Jesus Christ. I learned about a lot of it in seminary. There are a lot of people who do this thing. They say, well, biblical evidence shows that there was a very low Christology at the beginning, which means that they didn't think Jesus was Lord. That's, that's just high, highfalutin. Early Christians believed he was more of just a man, and it was only later Christians who turned him into a god. So they say the Gospels were written down, Mark first, then Matthew and Luke, and then John later. In John, it's very clear that he's God-made uh, flesh. But in Mark, he seems to be just a man. You know, there's, there's, he never claims to be the son of God, he calls himself the son of man. There's not a lot of this very uh, self-divine uh, language, but they ignore this very first introduction point. There's a prophecy we have about God coming directly to earth, and it was filled right then when John came and then Jesus came. A voice cried out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths, this John guy came. He's the voice in the wilderness. As people said, what should we do? We get his teaching in Matthew, right? Those who have two coats must share one. He's talking about getting our lives together. He's preparing the way, making straight the path for God. And then Jesus comes. God made flesh. And that's, of course, what we celebrate at Christmas, right? It's not a happy birthday Jesus holiday. It's God became flesh to make us right with God. Had Christ not come in the flesh, we could not have ever been made right with God. It's only because of what Christ did at Christmas and then Easter that you and I can ever have salvation. And so that's why Christmas and Easter are the two high holy days of the Christian year. But this final verse, you know, we're going to, we, we have the Old Testament being made real in the new. The prophecies about the coming Messiah and God himself being made known through Christ Jesus. But then we also... Uh, we have that being made known in our lives here and now. What we're getting together doing in worship, and I'm just going to remind you, and I hope you're here for worship next week, in the week, next week, what we're doing is a holy time travel thing. And I'm sorry to end on a weird note, but things happen in the past that we make real right now in the present. And things are happening in the future that we've been told that are also being made real right now in the present. Past, present, and future are coming together 
in this moment of worship where our entire lives, we, we step out of our lives, we come out of the world, we encounter God's holy word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but what remains forever? The word of the Lord. We encounter God's eternal word and then we can go back to our lives in his strength with clear and sober eyes how we should live. That's the purpose of congregational worship. So we're concluding now. We're about to get to that part. We're going to sing a final hymn that is all of these scriptures we've read today all combined. I didn't even know about it till today. It's an amazing hymn. But we're then going to go home and actually live God's word. This whole hour is wasted if you don't go and apply in your lives what we've encountered here today. So I hope you feel the weight and the burden of that so that your lives are transformed. I say you like I'm, so that our lives are transformed. And when Christ returns, he finds children, brethren, working. Amen.